0: A reader lives a thousand lives before he dies. The man who never reads lives only one. Come into the Reading Room all you lovers of language and literature. This is the place for those of us who believe that reading is essential as we seek to rise above the ordinary and the Reading Room contains a host of extraordinary people leading lights of the Written Word. Authors, literary critics, columnists, and ideas people will tantalize your minds with their wordplay while discussing the ideas and worldviews that form our wonderful literary milieu. Come step into a world of magic, the place of undiscovered treasures, a room of reading. And a very warm welcome to another episode of The Reading Room. I'm Melanie Walker, and in this particular episode, we're going to be talking about daring deeds and daring do. Does that make any sense? How does that come across in books? Well, I mean, for those of you who are into the adventurous lifestyles, and I'm sure that if you've followed me over the years, you'll know that adventure has been my middle name for a lot of the time. I'm always drawn to people who write about their experiences and what they've done and how they've managed to do these things, be it traveling around Africa on a motorbike or traveling across Africa in a 20-year-old car. Sometimes it's better to do things on your own two feet. And this is where the story gets interesting is because somebody who relied on their feet very heavily to get to be able to do a lot of what he did is Robbie Coyettan and he's written a book the name of the book is Mind Over Mountain Mind Over Mountain not Mind yeah. Over My Own Two Feet no. No. <laughs> All right Robbie thanks for coming and joining us in the reading room today Thank you it's it's fantastic to be here thank you Now I have to be quite honest Climbing mountains has never been on my list of things to do. Okay. I've done pretty much most everything else, including going in fighter jets and stuff like that, and submarines. What is this fascination with people wanting to climb mountains? That's possibly
1: one of the most difficult and oldest questions you could possibly ask that's still not properly answered. George Mallory said, because they're there, I don't really like that. It's because I'm here. Uh, there's just been something that since i was a, a young boy just mm-hmm. going out hiking looking at big peaks just like i was completely enthralled all the time and um you know the idea of climbing everest and the history and all of that around it was just it became a part of my life and it was just this calling and yeah you know, there's
0: also another famous quote that says if you have to ask why you'll never understand I, I will never understand because yeah. I'm going to keep on asking why. Because I like to ask people why they do specific things. For what reason is it for the adrenaline rush? But for me specifically with climbing mountains, I will I mean, I have climb up Table Mountain quite happily. No problem at all. I'll abseil down from places. I mean, I do sport climbing. I'm happy to do all of those things. But I've yeah. never understood this need to go and be up at the top of a mountain. I've had friends who have gone down and done, uh, tried to do Kili. Right. and come down with almost losing their lives. I've had friends who have died doing these things as well. In so myself, it's, yeah. it's big, it's tall, and it's cold. a lot of energy, and it's very cold. Three things I really don't like. <laughs> I'd rather take the soft way out and go up by helicopter, frankly. I think some one of the hardest
1: jobs in the world must be a sales team for climbing mountains. Right? Mm. It's going to be awful. It's a long time. You're going to live in the dust. It's going to be very cold. You could lose your life. You could lose your fingers and yeah you know, that's on a good day um yeah who's in you know and you wonder why no one's
0: putting their hands up yeah I'm, I'm certainly not one of them but when did when did you first actually go and decide right i'm going to climb this mountain and i'm going to do it on my own or a big mountain which is the first one that you did i'm not talking about going and doing everest in the six peaks, uh, seven peaks we'll talk about that yeah but as a youngster which was your first and your best when I was young, I, I got into rock climbing when my brother joined Wits Technicon
1: at the time. Uh, it's now UJ, University of Johannesburg. And um I went with on one or two weekends to go and see what sport climbing was all about. And I fell in love with it. I loved the adventure of it. Um I, I, w- I was a scout growing up. And um I'd been hiking. And this was just uh, the next level. And the, the, the challenge, I, w- I was good at it. I was young and, and too smart to know. Well, any you know, different, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and ignorant to what could have gone wrong, I suppose. And, and I excelled at it and I really enjoyed it. And, and it opened the whole world up to me. Mm. And uh, it was the August 1990 magazine of Out There, an old publication no longer around. Unfortunately, which was just one of the best I, magazines I ever. I loved it. And um, there was a photo on one of the pages of somebody who'd gone to Kilimanjaro and taken a photo of... Uh, Snow, Just a Mm. clump of snow with them walking through it. And it said, yes, there's snow on the equator. And I then dived in and read everything I could find on Kilimanjaro. And um, yeah, I then met people that just as the path would unwind, met people who had the same idea. And the guy who's my best friend... Kind of. If you listen to how we talk to each other, you wouldn't say it. But he also had this idea of wanting to climb Kili one day. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was saving 5 rand coins in a big mayonnaise jar. And uh, we all know how well that works. But uh, he came back with a plan. And in order to get sponsorship, because, you know, everyone and their dog had climbed Kili by then. Mm -hmm. We're talking the year 2000, 1999, 2000. We said we'd do the three highest mountains in Africa, and we'd do it in a month. And I I think ignorance was our, our strongest tool at that time. And um we we did 10 months later, we jumped on a plane to Uganda. We went to Margarita Peak, mm-hmm. which is the third highest in the Renzori. We didn't summit. Uh, we were turned around by weather on the first day. We then caught a taxi from Uganda all the way across into Tanzania. To climb Kili, Mm -hmm. and we got that right, which was fantastic. And then from there, another taxi to to Kenya to go climb Mount Kenya, uh, which exhaustion and just being completely out of our comfort zone for so long, we didn't get very far on that. But we made it to the trekking summit of Mount Kenya. And uh, yeah, and from there, the bug had bit. I mean, I was 22 years old, climbed Kilimanjaro. And obviously
0: the next question was, so what's next? What's next for seven peaks? Yeah. There's a big difference between like climbing in a sport gym or going to rock and rope up at Butterfly Bourbon to suddenly thinking, hang on a second, we're going to now walk up a mountain. Because you don't – how much do you actually need any of those actual climbing skills that you might learn in a climbing barn? Was it mainly just walking up Uh, the mountain? 99% of it is walking.
1: Mm. Uh, Yeah, even on on Everest, the only rock climbing is the Hillary Step, which two years ago actually collapsed. And so there's a a route around it. You can Mm. actually get up there with a, a bit of a scramble. There's no climbing at all. Yeah, it's actually the second highest peak on each continent that requires severe climbing. If you want to do the seven summits, yeah, it's literally walking up a hill with a headache. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the rock climbing itself, I would move quite far away from climbing. Mm. And uh, different mindset, different training, different everything.
0: Okay, so the second highest let me just go yes. to the second highest one. Second we highest. The one which you didn't summit. Sorry, yeah. I'm not going to write that in. But no, d- no. It's not like
1: I've been there twice and still haven't got it right.
0: Are <laughs> <No>, you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so now we, we mentioned the seven peaks. And, of course, those are the mm. seven highest mountains on all the continents. Yes. So what is it? Denali in, in North America. Denali like North Kaguya, America? in North America. South America. In Argentina, yes. Then there's Everest. Everest in Asia. Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro for Africa.
1: And then there's a bit of a... a conversation around which is the highest point in Australia or Australasia, depending how you look at it. Um, I've climbed the highest point in Australia, which is Mount Kosciuszko. Yes. uh, All of 2,200 metres high. Mm -hmm. And if you have a bad day out there, you don't get
0: back in time for a cappuccino, because the shop closes at Hopper's Four. Um, (laughs) I did uh, a mountain in Australia as well. They said, oh, this is the biggest peak in the whole area on the Gold Coast. And I thought, really? (laughs) Really? Yeah. There's bigger mine dumps in Joburg. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and um, But
1: the... the, Oceanic tectonic plate, the, yeah. that, the highest point there is Irian Jaya or Karsten's uh, Pyramid, which is in Indonesia.
0: Okay, and then Antarctica? And then
1: Antarctica, the highest mountain there is uh, the Vinson Massif. Yeah, that's, it's a relatively straightforward climb, but it's just getting there and the cost of it just makes it close on impossible. Yeah, and then, of course, yeah. Europe? Europe is Mount Elbrus in Russia. Okay. A lot of people think it's Mont Blanc, but it's not. So which ones have you done? So I've done Kilimanjaro um, nine times. Um, Are you completely mad? I don't know. Um, We haven't got all the tests back yet. But um, (laughs) yeah, just the path I was going on, somebody asked me who owns a a guiding company. They said, well, we've got overflow. Do you want to take a group? So Mm -hmm. I did that and I could go for free and it was awesome free holiday so I went and that happened a few times and so that's how you land up at nine nine summits of Kili via every route available which mm-hmm. is really really awesome okay so that's Kilimanjaro I've been to Mount Elbrus mm-hmm. in Russia I have we climbed Aconcagua in 2003 uh, number four was Elbrus, so number five was for me was Everest mm-hmm. um, just trying to count them all up I've been to Denali twice okay. and gotten to high camp twice And you'll read the first time why I didn't summit in the book. And the second time was in 2019. And um, the weather disobeyed what it was Mm. apparently doing Mm. for the forecast and landed up in three people being killed. So our summit attempt was thwarted by rescue operations. And it was just a a horrible day. So we decided to call it a day. Still have to go back. Mm. Um, And the only two remaining are the Vincent Massif in Antarctica. But that costs... 44,000 U.S.
0: dollars. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's even colder there.
1: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, there you get up to minus 60 degrees mm. in, in the peak of summer. And um, then I've got to go back and finish Denali. And hopefully the Carsten's Pyramid, just so I've got eight of the seven. You know, okay. take all the boxes. The summiting Everest? Summiting Everest, what in particular? Because that was three months of my life to get to the, Why, to the summer. Three months? Why three months? So a lot of it is, to, to put it into perspective, you fly from Johannesburg to Doha onto Kathmandu. Mm. Then from Kathmandu, you've got to have good weather in Lukla, where they fly a, a 20-seater plane in and land on the most dangerous airport in the world. It's got cliffs on three sides of the runway, mm. and there's no chance to, to pull a U-turn if you, you're not happy with your um, approach. So once you've got that right, then you've got a basically a 10-day walk to base camp where you recover for a week, and then you can start your acclimatization rotations where you go higher and return to base camp again to recover and work your way up to camp one, to camp two, spend some time there, return back up to two, to three, spend some time and then come back and wait for a summer weather window, which for me turned out to be 19 days. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So over two weeks was just sitting on 24 hours notice going is today the day? Oh, no, 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 no. There's still that plume coming off the summit. So what do you do in the, all these days that you're sitting there in the cold and getting irritated? I, I think we were quite lucky because we were part of an international team. Uh, there were 20 of us in total. Mm. And we, th- there was a communal tent that you could play Scrabble. You could sit and talk to the Americans if you were r- really um, at a loss mm. of, had a of what to do. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I, I think we, we had stuff to do. You could always go for a walk. I mean, we were in one of the most amazing places of the world. Mm. And um, yeah, you could go for walks. You spent a lot of time eating because at that altitude, you are constantly losing weight. You are, yeah, you, your metabolism is through the roof and eating becomes an event. You know, mm. cleaning mm. your
0: tent is a three-hour event. Uh, doing laundry is like the highlight of the day. It's, it's like that for some people anyway, every single yeah. day. But now, in between all of this, when yeah. is it that you were sport climbing and you broke both your ankles? Well, it was... To, to be exact, it was the 26th of April, 2006.
1: Now, you mentioned uh, Table Mountain and abseiling and the rest of it. The week before my accident, I was 28 years old. I was working in advertising as a freelance copywriter and art director. Mm. Found out that I could do both. And um, life was amazing. I was working enough to save up money to go climbing, mm. disappear, come back, work, make some more money, and, and carry on repeat. I was engaged to be married. And we went to Cape Town for a week. And climbed Jacob's Ladder, which is the rock face that the the, the big ab from the yeah. cableway station goes down. We climbed up and descended in the dark, uh, alive with our wallets, which is quite a feat, and um, did my first skydive over Bloberg Strand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible week. I came back that Monday night at the indoor gym at the University of Witwatersrand. I um, took a fall onto the. The bouldering mat. I can't even say I I fell. So you weren't even
0: being belayed?
1: No, a bouldering wall. My feet were maybe two and a half
0: meters off the ground.
1: Um, Just bouldering and turned and jumped onto the mat. And there was a split in the cover. And my toes went down the hole. And all of my body weight on top of that. And my feet folded backwards and then pushed together. And that basically popped everything from my shins down. The tendons ruptured. The bones were, were... Pretty much shattered. If you know anything about anatomy, my talus bone was forced up mm. between my tibia and fibula.
0: Oh. And
1: causing that to break, um, it sheared the ends off of the tibia and fibula. And um, yeah, I partially detached my Achilles tendon from my right foot. It was a mess. And yeah, I don't know just absolutely. tearing your
0: Achilles can be a two-year process of just getting that Abs- right, absolutely. let alone all the other stuff. Yeah. So that was you done for then. Did you think you were ever going to be able to climb again? Did you think you were ever going to be able to walk properly again, let alone climb? Well, it was a process where everything just began to fall apart. Mm. Landed up on mom's couch,
1: two-bedroomed townhouse with 15 stairs from her front door to the car park. I remember that because I had to do it sitting. Mm. You know, Move one foot at a time, move your bum down a step repeat process 15 times. And um, yeah, eventually after the doctors are telling you that you're not going to run and you're not going to climb again, you start to believe it. Mm. And my life would unravel to a point where I couldn't go and work. You know, this was the days of dial-up. I wasn't able to run a home office or anything like that. The money would dry up, but the bills didn't. And you were in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I was supposed to be getting married. And yeah, you can just imagine how the depression and the anxiety started to build up to a point where you taking more painkillers than you are getting hours of sleep in a night. And um, yeah, it would eventually just unwind to a point where, I mean, seven surgeries in and just not rehabilitating properly. Mm. And yeah, the, the doctor said to my mom, when I, I remember him talking at the foot of my bed as if I wasn't there, and he said, um, yeah, he, he won't run and he will never climb again. I'm really sorry. Maybe you should get him a walker for his 30th birthday. Polish doctor. We all know how funny Polish people can be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely horrible to a point where I landed up after a fight about when moving our wedding a bit later. Um, a fight turned into my fiancée and her parents leaving the house and I never saw them again, ever. And yeah, there I sat at three o'clock in the morning staring down a handful of painkillers. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know Sinead Forte. Mm. Yeah. If you've had a sports injury or, or a <laughs> cesarean,
0: you know Sinead Forte. Yes, yeah, I mean, look the strangest people sometimes that you meet them and you never know that what they 're going through, I mean, obviously yours was a physical manifestation as well, okay, so yeah. it was you can see that you are in a wheelchair you 've got this that, and the other, but a lot of people may have issues going on in their heads, from whatever reasons it may be, but it 's all how you deal with it, and we 're going to get onto to that because my brother faced a similar situation when he was in his early teens. we he ended up with this weird bone disease, and they said to him right that 's it." Never going to be able to run, never going to be able to play any contact sports. Four years later, he played two years at Queen's College, first team rugby. Fantastic, And he's still out and about, uh, like in his 50s now. And he just said, I will not let them tell me what to do. What was your turning point after listening to that Polish doctor? What made everything turn around for you? Well, I kind of found myself completely
1: out of options. I I made a decision. I made a deal with myself. Uh, that, if there were seventy tablets in the bottle, I would drink them mm. from the research i 'd done, I knew thirty five would kill me, but it, suicide is one of those things that you can 't stop halfway. I knew I had to do an absolutely perfect job, mm. otherwise not at all because you can 't leave a vegetable on a hot lung machine for my mom you know that was that was yep. the only thing in my head, and I knew that my medical insurance wouldn 't cover a botched suicide attempt. You know, and, and I couldn't rack up more debt. Those were the only thoughts going through my head at the time. Nothing, nothing, nothing else mattered. Mm. And it was when I realized that I had absolutely nothing. I was out of options because there weren't enough tablets in the bottle. There were 57. <laughs> and the way my, my thoughts unfolded, I said, well, you can't slash your wrists with the Gillette Mark Three razor. You can't jump off the balcony because that's just going to hurt like hell and mm. be embarrassing. Uh you can't drink bleach from under the sink. That's not going to do it. I was out of options. Mm. And I, I thought, you know, hang yourself with a climbing rope. But I'd given all my climbing gear to my mates because they were still <laughs> using it. So I was literally out of, out of options.
0: I'm sorry I'm and laughing. No, not at all. <laughs> I know not at all. this is <laughs> the way of going through the process. I can't yeah. do this because of that. <laughs> for sure. And you kind of look at it so matter of So that's what saved your life me. is the fact that you, that you had those options did not exist at the time. Absolutely. And that provided a window for me to start changing my
1: thinking. Mm. and surround myself with the right people and just switch things up. When, when I speak to, to large groups of people, it's obviously a sort of microwave version of the story, but it it boils down to changing the one decision from I don't want to heal because I was in a state of mind where I uh, stopped the earth, I want to climb off. Mm. Changing that I don't want to heal to I want to get better. I want to get better, stronger, and tougher than I was before. And um, I also say that my bucket list saved my life because two years before my accident, I had Mount Everest tattooed across my back. Mm. And because I was going to climb it, and that I think was part of the one of the hardest things for me. When you have these dreams and the, these ambitions, and then unfairly it gets taken away from you, or not even taken away. I I, I made the jump, I hit the mat wrong, I broke those ankles, and that wasn't what I had in mind. You know, mm. this was not the life I wanted. But you didn't do it to yourself. You know. Well, no, gravity and probably the two cheeseburgers I had on the way there. That, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and it was about that changing that mindset from, okay, the only way when we're at the bottom of the hole, now we stop digging. Mm. Now we start to climb out. And yeah, that was what would would, would force me to get out of bed the next day. I, I didn't have a reason to live. Fiance was gone. Business was gone. Everything was gone. You Your know? climbing was gone. Climbing wasn't there any longer. I had no reason to get out of bed the next day so i had a choice i could either lie there and die and i'd probably still be lying in that bed with my mom running around at 75 years old looking after me or i could use tomorrow as a blank slate to be a little bit tougher than i was yesterday i'm not going to heal it overnight i'm not going to solve the world's problems in 24 hours but just get up and and i also tell people that for eight months of my life my bucket list was get out of bed brush your teeth and put on clean clothes
0: because that for anybody with depression that is the bucket list for sure for As you sure. can get up, get dressed, make your bed, yeah, and make it happen. That's that's yeah. basically what it all boils down to. And, and if you survive through the thirty minutes of physiotherapy,
1: where they're mm. gonna, it's you're gonna cry, mm. then tomorrow is going to be a better day, and yeah. you can do it again, and you can do
0: it again, and you can do it again. So, from the time of making that decision to being able to actually walk and get back to a kind of a normal life, yeah. How long was that period of time? 647 days. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Eight
1: months, 647 days. It was. It was literally that. It was that. Yeah. And I, I, I put this goal in, in place to say, well, get out of bed. You've got to go climb Mount Everest. Mm. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous. When people hear it, they go, no, 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 no. You went from scooching around on your bum to get into the bathroom because the wheelchair didn't fit into the bathroom. Mm. It was one of those tiny little Baldwin-type townhouses. And I went from that to putting my mind on climbing the highest mountain in the world, but I didn't have anything else. You know, it was not like, yeah, oh, that was all I had. If you didn't don't have a, life, a
0: reason to live, invent one, mm. you know, make one up. And that was what I chose. And it worked. So mind over matter. And I'm a big believer in it. Always. For always sure. have done, always will do. But if you tell yourself you can't do something, you're never going to do it. For sure. You either talk yourself into it or you, or talk, you talk yourself, yourself out, out of it. it. So... Were there times, though, where you sat there and thought, what on earth am I thinking, I'm never going to be able to climb Everest? But did you have those slips back down again?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. To say that I didn't would be lying. Um, I'm not superhuman. There are times where you're lying there and and the physiotherapist is trying to detach scar tissue from tendons. And uh, I'll I'll put myself out there and, and I'll probably get 101 million complaints and tweets and stuff. But it's worse than childbirth. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: I wouldn't know. Uh, I'd had a <laughs> yeah. had a Caesar and was like I was yeah. completely numb, cut in half, yeah. and like oh, having a good time with the yeah. the people in the theater. Yeah, when no, you I came around flowers next to you. No, absolutely. The pain
1: is excruciating. Mm. Yeah, and there are times where you just go, I can't do this anymore, and and you remind yourself like, well, what's your other option? Go go climb into bed. Go go do it. Yeah. Go lie in bed for a week. You've done that before. How did that work?
0: Mm.
1: You know, and um. Yeah, you just got to keep reminding yourself, why are you doing this? Because you start to rebuild a life worth living for one little piece at a time, one day at a time. So did you go back to advertising and copywriting? Um, yes, yes, I did. Mm. Um, it's what I knew and, and it pays the bills. And, um, yeah, there was a, a time where i kind of hated it but it was something i was able to do and
0: i was able to do start a speaking career as well telling my story of from a wheelchair to everest this is what i wanted to know when did that start were you still in the wheelchair or is it when you had like gotten yourself up and you'd finished climbing and you went out to tell people Uh, where mm. did this this thing to go and change other people's lives suddenly come in It was from telling my story
1: to different people and and the networks I was in that they said, well, you've got to, you've got to get out and tell the story. And I decided to have this, this Mount Everest idea and I didn't have the 750,000 Rand it would take to climb it in 2008. That's a lot of money. It is. It's a a very, very large sum of money. And nowadays, if you want to go, if you were to go for the next climbing season, you're in for about 1.1 million Rand. I'd rather buy a house. You could. Yes, its you could. Yeah. It won't be yeah.
0: hopefully not a cold house.
1: <laughs> yeah. And you could put as many heaters as you want in yeah. it. Yeah. And so I started a fundraising campaign, and that forced me to talk to a lot of people. Yeah. Which kind of, when they asked about it, you would tell the story. And I was on a, a radio interview with David O'Sullivan mm. one Friday afternoon, which a friend of mine in PR had wangled for me. And... I told them about this idea to sell blocks, and I think I had two blocks sold at the time. Thanks, Mom. And for 500 Rand, you could buy a piece of my Summit banner the size of a business card and come with me to the top of the world. That was the concept. And the idea was if I sold enough blocks, I could cover my costs. And maybe if there was anything afterwards, we could uh, give it to charity. And I only got two phone calls after that interview, and I was a little bit disheartened. But the second phone call was um, a guy who just happened to leave work early, to take his family to the Kruger Park on holiday and he heard the 702 thing Mm. and he was from Ned Bank and at the time Ned Bank had an internal so they wouldn't breathe a word of it to the public internal campaign to be the best business bank by 2010 and the whole theme of that was ascent and they were at base camp now and they wanted to be at camp one by such and such a date and the guy heard me and he said you're our guy and he said, Some how much money do you need? Hey? Absolutely. I mean, I still get shivers. I mean, 12, 13 years later, I still get shivers telling the story. And he said, how much money do you need? What's your hard costs? And I said to him, oh, you know, 20, 28,000 uh, US dollars. <laughs> you know? And the phone <laughs> went <laughs> quiet. <laughs> and I thought, could you imagine what it'll feel like if this guy buys 10 blocks? You know? Woo! You know? Yeah. And um, he said to me, well, okay, sounds doable. The money will be in your account by the end of the month. And that just, those sorts of things don't happen in real life. And it, it it happened, they covered my hard costs. And so we just continued selling these blocks and we were able to, to raise over a hundred thousand Rand. I mean, 13 years ago, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Still is a lot of money. We were able to just hand that over anonymously to cancer-related causes. Oh,
0: fantastic.
1: And, um, yeah, it, it was absolutely amazing. It was called the Patchwork of Miracles. That was the nickname David O'Sullivan gave it.
0: Did you did you sew all of the things together to make your flag eventually? We digitally printed it.
1: Yeah. Um, Shame my mom would have been the seamstress on that one, and I think she'd still be busy with it. <laughs> um, the flag measured 3.6 meters wide and about one and a half meters high.
0: And, um, That's it, quite it's, a big flag. It's a lot of blocks. It's yeah. a lot of blocks. Yeah. Uh, and so… You made the money, you gave it, you went, you climbed it, you summited. Yeah. Ned Bank were happy.
1: Yeah. Part of that was, would you do a road show? And I was like, absolutely. What's a road show? <laughs> and they said, can you go to each of our regions and, and talk to them about what you're going to do? Motivational speaking. Yes. Yes. And I was like, absolutely. Let me just. I know how to use Keynote and PowerPoint. I'll put together a slideshow and we'll talk about it. Yeah. And, and I did. And I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I realized that I had a story to tell. Okay. And that I'd been put here for a reason. And people got a lot out of the story I could tell. Okay. That, so did, did the yeah. book
0: come first or did the motivational speaking, speaking come first? Speaking
1: came first. Definitely. The book took seven years to write. Um, Not because of my spelling, but it just, it happened in pieces. I never Mm. had the intention of writing a book. I never sat down one day and go, well, time to tell what happened. I'd written about like my father's deaths was in there and and kind of almost journal entries, myself Mm. making sense of what had happened. Um, Trip reports coming back from, you know, various sponsors and magazines and stuff. You write articles and what happened kind of matter of factually. And eventually I took all these bits and pieces and I took them to a friend and I said, is there a book here? And she said, absolutely, we just got to find the glue in, be- in between the mm. pieces. Mm. Place the articles and everything chronologically and fill in the pieces. Decide what's the beginning and what's the end. And that turned out to be very, very hard. Where does the book end? And um, It doesn't. It, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't. So, yeah, stay tuned for the next installment.
0: And what is the next installment? What What is next? Up- I mean, you've got a very big thing coming up, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think that's part of the project and the excitement
1: that – for the people that get on board with Patchwork of Miracles Part 2, there's a copy of the book in it for them. And uh, I haven't written it yet. But How much is a block? <laughs> they're 1,000 rand each. Ooh, okay. 1,000 um, <laughs> rand a block, and there's only 500 of them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, for that you can be a part of the the miracle. G- give me whatever you want to put on that banner. I'll take it to the top. If you want to ask someone to marry you, if you want to put your business's logo, put your favorite saying, a, a picture of your 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 twins, your newborn baby, whatever you want. If you want to come out the closet, that's also cool. Whatever you want, put it on the banner and I'll take it to the top. And um, yeah, this time there's, there's a different cause behind it. Um, mm. For those of you that, that read the book, you'll see that depression and anxiety is a big part of my life and um, part of the story. Mm. So what we're doing, all of this, it's in order to raise some, I hate saying raise awareness because every is, cause. We, do, yep. we always,
0: we do need to raise awareness yeah. because people, you know, if you if you on I always say to people, it's the same thing if you have epilepsy yeah. or if you have um, insulin deficiency, diabetes, okay, you have to remain on medication for the rest of yes, your life. Yes, absolutely. Why is there such a stigma attached to taking a medication if you suffer from anxiety or depression? For sure. It's a body chemistry confusion sometimes. A lot of the time it isn't through just somebody's mind not being right. It's because of a chemical thing. So, yeah. I used to work with SAGADS, a uh, SADAG. I always get a South African <laughs> depression and anxiety group. Yeah. I'm very aware, and I always want to push people, please, if you don't say to somebody, get over it. As you're hearing, sometimes yeah. there are mountains that have to be climbed before somebody can get over it. For sure. Absolutely.
1: And, and I, I, I'm over that. I can speak about um, I am on medication, and mm. I probably will be for the rest of my life, and I'm okay with that. Our campaign, this time, all we want is people to ask for help. mm if you're suffering, just reach out. Reach to a friend, phone an anonymous hotline. There are—I mean, pe- there are companies that have these structures in place, in-house therapists, and people just are too scared to to say, "Yes, please, please help me." Mm. And um, that's one thing. Ask for help came from my Everest approach. I didn't have the seven hundred and fifty thousand rand, so I asked for help. At the end of the day, I paid a thousand one hundred rand out of my own pocket, and that was mostly for—is
0: wonderful, isn't it? Well, no, yeah, <laughs>
1: absolutely. That didn't exist back then. Yeah. There yeah. wasn't even Facebook then. It was just me sending out emails and asking people, please help me. And I got mm. everything from cameras to vitamins to, you know, foot fungal cream. Whatever <laughs> I needed, I got yeah. just because I asked. You help. have to ask. So that's the theme that's being pushed through to the next one. There is help out there. Give people the joy of being able to help you. Just reach out and, and ask. You know, I depression.
0: love your way of thinking. <laughs> I wish people would understand that there is that option to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And depression and anxiety is fatal if untreated. Okay, so what is the main message people can take away from your book? Is it about that or is it just actually overcoming things that you perceive to be hurdles that you have created as a bigger hurdle than they actually are? Is it how to stand on your own two feet or just kick your own ass? (laughs) It's a little bit of everything like that.
1: The takeout from the book is... We are what happened to us. Mm. You know, you can choose to either use it as an excuse. Oh, I'm I'm I messed up because I had a horrible childhood. Or you can say, yes, I am all of these things. Scar tissue is stronger than skin. Mm. That didn't kill me. What will? Let's keep pushing. I think if if anything, that's, that's the just. Yeah. That's the trailer. <laughs> I love that. And okay, yeah. so next thing, when are you going climbing? We are planning to leave Johannesburg on the 11th of June, headed for Pakistan, and we're going to climb K2. The first South African oh, ascent of K2. I'm going to be watching yeah. that one with oh, uh, because that's
0: even more dodgy than doing Killy, isn't? I mean, uh, doing um, Everest. Everest.
1: Well, to to give a little bit of perspective, nine thousand people have climbed Everest. Three hundred and seventy-seven have climbed K2. I know. Yeah. No, no South Africans yet. Well, yet.
0: the best of British to you on that one, as they would like to say. Thank okay. You. And where can people find your books? They're at exclusive books that at Reader's Warehouse. Um I know you can get the
1: ebook on Take A Lot mm-hmm. and also Amazon you can get the, the ebook. And um yeah, I've just had a conversation about audiobooks. So let's see if we can get that out there. That
0: would be a good one. For like, sure. Especially for people who might need it from a different perspective as well for sure they can't actually maybe get hold of the book for whatever reason they can still listen to it yeah well robbie thank you you're an absolute inspiration um i as i said i will not be joining you except maybe in a block form fantastic <laughs> thank you but i wish you all the best with your future endeavors and please just keep it up and keep telling us how things are going i really appreciate that thank you all right take good care the rest of you don't forget to join us again in the reading room where you can find things that might just be to your fancy, but it's all to do with the written word. Come and join us again. Bye bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.